Welcome back, everybody. It's episode 25 of the Holistic OBGYN. Super, super stoked for this episode. I got to interview my buddy, Wade Lightheart. We met at Paul Check's 60th birthday and started waxing poetic, waxing intellectual, waxing romantic about some collaborative efforts that we're going to be putting together for the future. His company has been super supportive of the show, and um, he's a great guy. He's very open-minded. He's very, very, very smart, and um, he's done his homework. You know, he has this giant supplement company called Bioptimizers. Um, I use two of their products on a regular basis. One is called Cognibiotics, and I think that's the name of it. Yeah, Cognibiotics. It's basically a blend of pre and post and, and probiotics along with a whole proprietary herbal blend that helps with cognition, memory, mental clarity, helps you improve your learning capacities, etc. And then the other product I use daily is their Magnesium Breakthrough, which is really unlike any other product I've found on the market. It has seven types of magnesium. So this is not an ad for their company. They're not officially sponsors, paying sponsors of the show, but I do feel very grateful to know Wade and his company has, um, has supported us in more ways than one. So I think everybody should know about them because there is there are so many supplement companies out there and there's nothing quite like um, like Wade <laughs> and what he's put together by Optimizer. So I'm excited about this conversation. I am recording from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, my hometown in my wife's childhood home in her sister's bedroom. That's the lengths we go, we go to on this show to continue to bring you high quality content. <laughs> I have such fun memories of this house. Um, Stephanie and I met when we were 16 and I don't know if she's going to listen to this or not, but if you can imagine being a 16-year-old and just through coincidence meeting a young lady like my wife when she was 15, I still had my driver's permit. And um, she was like a knockout bombshell, sweet, caring, amazing dancer, beautiful. Like she just had the whole package and didn't give a fuck about what anybody thought about her. It was like the perfect match for me. Because I was like insecure. I never thought I was gonna be good enough, blah, 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 blah. Like that whole thing that we tell each other as as young men who are, feel completely lost in the world. You find somebody like Stephanie and, and you're hooked. And that's exactly what happened. So apart from two years in medical school when we decided, hey, we are a little bit too codependent on one another. We need to go and branch off and see what else is out there. We've been together since we were 16 and um, we got back together through a another sheer happenstance. We both ended up uh, sort of getting out of this, out of our, our other long-term relationships we had found and around the same time I met up for drinks and kind of the rest is history. So she is my dream, my dream lady and I am very grateful to have her in my life and I have memories of being in this house and her walking downstairs after freshly showering and putting on, I think it was Love Spell. Uh, it was like a scented lotion from Victoria's Secret. She would she would be wearing that, and then she had a specific type of, of um, shower gel or maybe maybe like shampoo that she used, and she would smell like that. And then my car would smell like that. And every time I come back to her house, I get this nostalgic whiff of that, even though I don't even think that they use the same products anymore. But 
You can just imagine how that feels as a 30-something-year-old man. Late 30s, same love, and um, her family, of course, has become my family, and my family, her family. And at any rate, we are um, going to be talking to Wade today. Um, oh, one more thing I wanted to bring up that it was really, really interesting. You know, so many of my friends, we're like hustling and hustling and hustling and trying to monetize every aspect of our life. I'm trying to, my schedule is like down to the hour. I've got stuff going on and, and, um, and it's, uh, I was watching this movie with Sandra Bullock on, it's on Netflix. I think it's called Unforgiven or Unforgivable, something like that. And there's a scene where the main character, Sandra Wolf, is, is meeting with one of her co-workers. And they're both, like, underpaid. They work at, like, a fish packing plant. And they're there just enjoying a cup of coffee and a plate of pancakes or something. And the guy seems to know everybody. He, like, knows that guy's story. He knows the guy who's serving the pancakes. He asks him about how his nephew's doing or whatever, you know. And he's even looking out the window. He's like, oh, look, there's, there's so-and-so. Um, you know, she looks like she's she's got like a scowl on her face, but she's like the most sweet, tender-hearted person in the world. And he's just sitting there enjoying his cup of coffee, both hands around the mug. And uh, and he has this bandwidth to just be happy with what he's got. You know, like what he needs is connection. He needs community. He needs family. And these holidays, I, I'm really thoughtful about that. You know, like what what more do we need in our lives? What sort of reputation or what sort of um, credentials do we need to be working towards or you know what sort of notoriety do we really need you know nowadays connection is becoming our currency and if we aren't spending time with people and really getting to know people at their deepest most personal level do we really have people in our lives you know like we have people we transact with we have people that we support and support our business and this and that but are those really the people that we should be spending all of our time with and that's not to say that the people i work with, you know, that are in my world as the Holistic OBGYN podcast and my practice, Beloved Holistics. That's not to say that they're not friends. But when I'm, when my schedule doesn't even have time to give me the bandwidth to reconnect with my family, maybe I'm doing something wrong. And it just really made me think. And we're, we're actually, but we've been talking about possibly moving from Louisville and selling everything, moving down to Mexico where Stephanie's family's from and just living there and, you know, just being just being for the first time since i started school just being content moving more slowly still doing the podcast still running my business but just cutting back on the on the, the sort of rigorous time frame you know where i wake up i do a little morning routine i get to work and i have a little run, you know cool down routine at the end of the night and then i fall back asleep and I do it again and just moving towards that goal you know and just makes me thoughtful, like, what would life be like if we lived on one of the Hawaiian islands? And I just had a coffee shop I went to every morning and got to know the locals and got to know the people and had my little tribe there. Um, yeah. So I think 2022 is going to be bringing simpler times for my family. And I hope that that whatever it is that you're all seeking out there, I hope that 22, 2022 brings that for you as well. So I think we owe it to ourselves. We worked very, very hard for these past two years. And Anyways, I could ramble on about this all day. I uh, am super excited for you to hear this this interview with Way to Light Hard. Um, if you guys haven't left a review on iTunes, please leave us a five-star review. It helps other people find us. It helps us rise in the ranking. You're doing something very, very unique compared to every other boring OBGYN podcast out there. We're talking about women's health, but we're bringing community into the conversation. We're bringing men, women, 
we're bringing mothers, fathers, we're bringing um, maidens, mothers, crones, we're, we're bringing the whole gamut into the conversation around how to care for women. Because if we want to change the world, we need to change the way that we honor the divine feminine and the women in our world. And, and we are far off from that. We're a couple hundred, if not thousands of years removed from honoring women and, the, and, and, and honoring the divine feminine in all of us, not just even in biological females. And so we're doing something very unique here, and we need support to do that. We need to rise in the rankings on iTunes. We need some donors to pull through. Go to beloved or holisticwbjoanpod.com, make a donation. We'll send you all kinds of free gifts. Um, and if you're interested in sponsoring the show, we can use that as well. Anything to offset the production costs, because the greatest vision that I have is within five to six years, we're going to be fully sovereign. We're going to be operating a birth and death retreat center with a full-fledged hospital, operating rooms, healing space, and the whole thing is going to be designed with bio, bio, biophilics in mind, right? Meaning less right angles, more natural architecture, natural light, the healthiest soil, biodynamic and regenerative farming, agriculture, animal livestock, etc. Nestled in the woods with clean water, clean air, the healthiest food possible, the healthiest water possible, water charging, biogeometry, coherence technologies, EMF mitigation, the whole the works so the babies can come into a world with amber lights and sound bowls and singing as opposed to bright lights, distraction and pain. And that's the big that's the big vision. We're gonna do we're gonna combine the essence of Esalen out on the west coast with Inime's farm notion, which isn't really what it used to be, to be perfectly frank with you. And we're gonna pine, combine that and, and add to it plant medicines. We're going to add to it ceremony and ritual. And we're going to do this within intentional community. And we're going to need a lot of money to do this. I think my budget's around 20 million. So we're working on some promotional materials for that. But just remember, all of these things are really working towards that ultimate vision. And I think that we can change the world if we can change the way we care for one another. So there you have it. So support the show in any way that you can. Um, Holisticobjuanpod.com for all the show notes. My practice is Beloved Holistics. Um, and without further ado, here's Wade Lightheart. One last thing. Anything you hear on the show is not medical advice. It is not meant to replace any advice given to you by doctors. This is edutainment at its finest. It is not medical advice. So take it or leave it. Here's episode 25 with my good friend, Wade Lightheart. I saved that for after. You save your. <laughs> we were just talking before the countdown finished. Um, I'm here with my buddy Wade Lightheart, and um, we both are big fans of the vaporized nicotine and medicinal herb bags. And uh, you know, Wade, you and I met at Paul's Paul Check's 60th birthday party and got to be quick friends. Um, and since then, we've talked about everything from some Commonwealth law to the vaccine stuff to COVID to the crazy stuff happening in Canada. Can you, you know, I know you're born Canadian. You live in LA, is that right? Yeah, I'm in uh, Venice Beach, California right now. So you split your time between two of the most difficult places to live right now in North America. Um, yes. Tell me a little bit, like the elevator speech of what's going on with Canada and why it's so concerning to you. And then maybe you can reflect a little bit on what's happening in California with all this mandate stuff. You know, I was very concerned, and, and Jordan, P, Dr. Jordan Peterson, the uh, famous psychologist from the University yep. of Toronto, about four or five years ago, came to fame 
and was wrongly accused of being um, biased towards sexual preference. And what had happened is the Canadian government under the Trudeau regime, um, and I use that word specifically, um, had implemented um, compelled speech and it created an artificial kind of like kangaroo court where anyone who did not call someone by a gender pronoun was now considered hate speech. And so that's very interesting. So I think there's, so in what Jordan put forth, who has extensive study in the atrocities that occurred during the Bolshevik revolution and beyond, and also in Nazi Germany, as well as in the Maoist revolution, where literally over 100 million people in total have died at the hands of their own governments, suggested at that time to the, to the complete disbelief of most of the population that when governments compel speech, then they quickly uh, go into tyrannical regimes. Mm. Now, this is four or five years ago. There was no pandemic. There was none of these things happening. And he was wrongly identified saying that he was taking hate speech against people about not calling by the gender pronouns. He said, no, I have had all sorts of people come to my class in psychology. And he says, you know, I refer them to whatever name that they want. What I am railing against is the government compelling speech, because if you look specifically in the um, the. Uh, British North American Act, the, uh, there's the Bill of Rights and there's the Charter of Rights, depending which one you cite. It's very nefarious how it can be kind of nebulous in what you cite. And some of the articles included to, it is not the, the freedom of speech, freedom of communication is an, an imperative into the rule of law of Canada, hmm. uh, which is for the most part well known as a very, relatively benign country on the global scale. Has largely in part a very positive reputation worldwide. It's yeah. very universal. We celebrate all genders and all cultures. It's very culturally diverse. You know, people don't refer to themselves as a Canadian. You're an Irish Canadian, an African Canadian. You're a French Canadian. You're Canadian. You're, yeah. you're, but you're a, so, that your, your ethnicity and your culture is instantly implied and suggested when you say, you know, no one calls himself just a Canadian. Yeah. Like, I'm Irish on my mom's side and German on my dad's side, whatever it <laughs> happens to be. And so this was interesting. And then shortly, uh, I, I remember being home or actually watching um, uh, uh, the equivalent of John Madden. And I'm getting to mm. my point here in a minute, but I'm going to share with people in my United States friends how this happened in Canada. So there's a guy, but he's the equivalent of John Madden in the NFL. He's kind of an, uh, an old school guy. His name is Don Cherry. And he came out. Oh, I know Don Cherry well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He came out on Remembrance Day and suggested that people wear their poppies. He's like, people come to hear from our other countries and they don't know our history and stuff. And we, we wear poppies to celebrate the men and women who gave their lives, you know, during the world wars to fight off tyranny so that we can enjoy the prosperity and the freedoms mm. that we have here. And he was taken off air for mm. saying you people. That was specifically what he was taken off air. Now, keep in mind, he had been on Hockey Night in Canada, which is the equivalent of like Monday Night Football. Right. Um, forever, 30, 40 years. And yes, he was an old cool guy. Yes, he would say things that would get people up. 
But for the most part, he was known as, hey, he's an 80-year-old guy. He's unfiltered. He says what he thinks. He really knows hockey. He's entertaining. So part of it is entertainment. Part of it is his history. Part of it is his magnetism. Taken off the air. His own partner threw him under the bus as well to maintain his job at the, the CBC and these things. And so I remember saying, oh, here it comes. Here, here it is. They, they, they've just taken off one of the most famous people off TV for something that he said, which wasn't really that big of a deal. At this point, Jordan Peterson was rising to fame and to notoriety of explaining some of the nuances of totalitarian regimes, tyrannical thinking, how the universities have been usurped by foreign um, uh, entities and organizations who were looking to disrupt the rule of law and how we uh, have a level of freedom and autonomy inside of our democratic countries. And sure enough, not long after came the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then under the emergency acts, which give governments significant more powers in idea to protect or, for example, I can remember as a kid, there was some really bad fires one summer. And the fire department would, would, was able to come to your house and under the emergency act of that local, when it's called emergency act, they could commandeer your four-wheel drive against your will if you didn't. Most people said, hey, yeah, of course, I'll help out. Take my four-wheel drive, we'll go. My dad, I remember, went out and grabbed the fire, you know, forcing and started fighting the fire like everyone else in our local community. <laughs> it was just common, you know, but they could commandeer it. And so when you have the emergency acts passed, then you have license to do that. And it, and it means that there is no alternative. And, and this is very important because if you look historically, when they put in the emergency act, it was because there was no known cure for the current COVID-19. And they created uh, Pete Navarro, uh, who was part of the Trump administration in the United States. And I forget the person that was in part of Canada because uh, these Emergency acts were implemented kind of by nation governments worldwide. They put forth a five-part component of how they were going to address it. And one, they, they were using these mRNA vaccines for the most uh, debilitating conditions. And then they had quarantines. Remember the 14 days to flatten the curve, not, you oh, know, yeah. two years to flatten the economy, I think was really mm -hmm. what the goal was. Um, and so... One of the reasons why we see so much of uh, information, so for example, like certain uh, well-researched, well-documented, safe alternatives to the current recommendations by the FDA and the CDC, which aren't, aren't necessarily in our, operating in our best interest. That's right. They're operating in special interest. They are only providing one avenue, which is vaccination, as the only route because that's what allows them to continue on with the Emergency Act policies. If there's a variety of solutions, the Emergency Act doesn't work. And so why they continually drive that narrative, they ignore natural immunity, they ignore the groups that aren't subjected to the complications of it. They ignore the rule of law. They suspend normal communications, freedom of speech. All these things are coming back to that basic premise that we are under a global threat and therefore these cause give the government power. Now, the thing is, is when a government 
if you look historically, takes on extra power, they tend not to give it up afterwards. And I'll cite the Patriot Act that was implemented uh, with the bombing of the towers in September 2001, which the Patriot Act came in thousands and thousands of pages, short time after, like I don't even know how yeah. they wrote this so quickly. We have never <laughs> gone backwards. In fact, those were actually um, enhanced under the Obama administration later on. And now with the current Biden regime in, it's been quadrupled down and with the government violating specifics, like for example, mandates uh, to a hundred companies that have to vac people of a hundred companies over vaccinated, even though that has been uh, suspended by uh, various judges, the administration comes out and says, no, keep going for it. And, and, and so now we're having the government operating over and above the legal branch of the government, which is so susceptible. Now in Canada, we don't have as much of a historical aspect, but we're not a democratic republic. We are a constitutional democracy based on a monarchy from uh, British, uh, mm -hmm. under the British North American Act, which is under that sort of act. So it's actually more of a military dictatorship. They have a lieutenant government governor who put down, um, the, had actually s suspended Congress, uh, excuse me, suspended Parliament up there at one point when the two wow. parties couldn't get along. A lot of people aren't recognizing and the queen is still on the dollar bill as it is in Australia, another Commonwealth country who is being subjected to even deeper levels of tyranny, yes. which may actually come to Canada. And so what does that mean? Well, Canada has implemented uh, draconian vaccine mandates, which make absolutely no sense uh, from a health perspective, from uh, an, a potential of extended risks. Uh, they have suspended uh, medical reasons for people not being uh, able to take this for medical be allergies. It could be, you know, in people with have heart conditions and the chance for uh, inflammatory heart responses or other areas that could have con uh, contraindications. And so when a government um, has now taken the license that they can inject you with a substance that they are not definitively able to, to determine what the long term consequences are, we as citizens have to recognize that whether you believe in compelled speech, whether you like the current administration or not, whether you believe that you should follow the medical recommendations of your doctor, of your government organization, whether that be province, province state, territory, or federal uh, issue, we have to stop and say, well, where, does, where do we draw the line when you can, when a, a single entity can implement its ideology onto you to such an extent that they have autonomy over your physical body. And you can inject something in me. Does that mean that you can rape me? Does that mean that you can uh, put a bullet into me? Because that's entering into my body a foreign substance as well. Can you uh, hit me with potassium cyanide? What about that? Because for many people, I'm not saying all people, but for many people, Implementing one of the, if you took a, a population of Canada that's 35 million people, so give or less, you know, so let's say 35 million people. If you look a standard deviation of that 35 million people, there is going to be some fraction of a percentage of that group. Might be 100,000, might be 50,000, might be as much as a, a 500,000, a million people of people who absolutely will have a severe adverse reaction to virtually anything could be aspirin could let alone an unproven untested uh new 
developmental and by and large a dirty response to a very short-term plan uh, emergency situation. So even if you are the most onboard health person with this process, you have to allocate, okay, maybe for 99.5% of the population, this is totally safe and functional. But what about those half million people that it isn't safe for? That's right. What about them? And they now develop some severe complication ranging from permanent disability to death. So that's okay. Yeah. And then what about the next round? And what about the next round? And what if it's, uh, and, and then we have the issue of religious freedom. Uh, religious freedom because they're using embryonic uh, delivery systems in many of these vaccines, we have to recognize, well, I'm against my religious beliefs, my spiritual beliefs, and I, I don't even like to call it religious, indicates to me, hey, guess what? We shouldn't use uh, embryos. I, I'm not comfortable with using embryos in anything that's injected into my body. I'm a vegetarian. I'm a plant-based guy. I don't eat, I don't believe in killing sentient, sentient um, species for my food. It doesn't mean that I, I, I don't condemn anyone else for doing it. That's their thing. That's the idea right. of a free country. Do what you want. Follow what process you want. I might not agree with it. You might not agree with me. But that doesn't mean that we can't get along. In fact, we'll probably benefit from a difference of opinions because nobody can possibly know everything hmm. except the federal government. <laughs> Suddenly, they have been endued with these uh, supernatural powers which they can bypass the potential complications long-term of an unproven medical treatment. And the evidence to this point suggests that that treatment has a waning efficacy at a rate far exceeding to anything initially anticipated. And infection rates of people who have been under vaccine are increasing compared to people who have not been vaccinated, indicating that the actual the the solution may be exaggerating the problem. And furthermore, if you look to the leading virologists worldwide, they have suggested that if you start implementation of a vaccination process across the world, you actually start driving variants and you do not, you, you actually extend the pandemic because you never get to herd mentality right, right, or herd right. uh, immunity. You're and just so like chasing, you're just chasing your own tail. You're just trying to forever catch up. Right, right. So I have a hard time believing that the people in power don't aren't able to actually ascertain that or the people who are handling the people in power. And so what I believe is that there are far more nefarious uh, organizations and individuals mm. who have usurped our institutional systems and they found a way around uh, the rule of law to implement things that are going to uh, shift the balance of power. And you know they say all this stuff is free. No, it's not. The medical company, Pfizer, for example, reported its greatest year financially in the history of the company. And the government is taking tax dollars, funneling into testing, to research, to uh, these uh, publicly traded organizations, many of which our representatives are invested in, who are financially profiting from the implementations that are putting put forth, which are a direct violation of our constitutional greed, as well as what was uh, established by Nuremberg 
after World War II because the Nazis were doing these type of experiments on humans by going against their rights. And they came about these Nuremberg trials to prevent governments from doing this. And here we are, 80 years later, we just had Armistice Day, Remembrance Day, Veterans Day, whatever it is, and the people who gave up their lives. And as Ronald Reagan said, what was interesting is these individuals gave up two lives. They gave up the one they had lived and the one they had not lived. Mm -hmm. These are young men and women in their 18s, 19s, 20s, 20, early 20s, and or, you know, even at best in their late 30s, for the most part, who gave up their life, the life that they had and the life that they would have. They gave up the opportunity to be mothers and fathers and to career people and grandparents and to have celebrations and birthdays and Thanksgivings and Christmases and all of those things to, because they understood the consequences and they made the supreme sacrifice out of themselves. And today, people are willing to not even give up the convenience of going to a restaurant or mm. going to a, a public uh, sporting event because they're worried about, oh, I better go along because my friend might condemn me if I don't go along with the herd. And I am here to initiate with people, to activate them, to say, hey, if you want to go get uh, the recommended suggestion, fair enough, but at least allow the decency that I get to choose a different parameter. Because if that's, if what you are doing is so good, there is nothing that you have to fear about what I'm doing or not doing. Mm -hmm. So the logic continues to break down no matter how you slice it. And I believe that more and more people are recognizing that this isn't about the Emergency Act. This isn't about compelled speech. This is about the complete takedown of Western civilization that by exactly foreign right. invaders who have usurped in a new type of war. And it's a war that people don't know that we're in and we're losing this war. And we've got to wake up and fight back. And you know, if we look at World War II, Neville Chamberlain tried to broker a deal with Adolf Hitler. And he came back and said, don't worry, he's not going to invade anybody else. He's put on the thing. And when he left the room, Adolf Hitler and Joseph Goebbels laughed because of the naivete of their leader. And sure enough, he ended up resigning and they brought in the most hated man in British Empire, which was Sir Winston Churchill, to stand up because he was the curmudgeon enough to stand up to what at that time was certain annihilation of Western civilization mm -hmm. by a totalitarian regime hell-bent on a pharmaceutical and genocidal nature. And I believe that specter was not stamped out from the earth. It has returned in full force in a far more sophisticated way to try and exert its, its evilness, its darkness upon us. And it's up to us who can see this and to recognize it, to shout it from the rooftops. If we don't have phones, fair enough. If we don't have access to the internet, good enough because it's the internet that is actually preventing us from actually recognizing common sense, being friends with their neighbor and getting on with their lives that we have throughout all of history. So that's my tirade to open up our show. Oh my God. Good guy, everybody. We're done. That's the show. <laughs> Wade, you're, you have such a charming, uh, if everybody could see you right now, we are doing video. So people eventually get to see, but if you're just listening to audio, that was an expose on so many things that have pervaded medical freedom over the last hundred years, right? I mean, we're, we're talking all the way back to 
let's say the 18th century when when midwives used to care for women in birth. Yes. And then a bunch of rich white guys started to realize, hey, we can make money off of this. So let's come up with expensive instruments, characterize midwives as these dirty, lazy, dumb people who couldn't possibly keep you safe in birth, even though this is the way it's always gone for years. We're going to create a financial establishment around medicine. We're going to force people into the hospitals. They're going to be chastised if they have a birth at home with a midwife. And it's all for the purpose of kind of fitting into the status quo, which now we see is a place where when you, as soon as you walk into the hospital to talk a little bit about implied consent, which you were hinting at before, once you give permission for a doctor to provide you treatment, by the way, there's a patient bill of rights in every hospital. You could Google it at every hospital, patient bill of rights. You have the right to informed consent before anything is done to your body. But instead, what actually happens in birth is what's what's now been termed implied consent, meaning as soon as I register with the hospital, I've now given over full bodily autonomy to the nurses, doctors, and other staff to do whatever the hell they want to my body, which includes in birth IVs, IV medicines, vaginal exams, invasive vaginal exams where somebody comes out, sticks their hand in your vagina where your partner and a nurse are forcing your legs apart. Later, they come back to me and say that felt like rape, and I'm saying that was rape. You never consented to this thing, but because the the new priests, the, the doctors in white coats said this was okay, through coercive language, they've gotten you to comply to something that didn't feel good to your body. And then you, generationally, down the line, we look back and we say, how did we ever get here? It's because people didn't say, enough is enough. I'm not having a person stick their hand inside of me when I haven't consented. This whole vaccine conversation is exactly the same conversation. It's now, though, men and women, people of all ages, children down to the age of, what is it now, five, are, are being injected with this new thing. And, and so this whole thing is- virtually no risk. Who have virtually right. no risk of- Right, of, of, no of, risk of this disease, of yeah. Serious right. conditions, but we don't know right. the risk that could happen to them long-term. And I believe- That's exactly right. I, I believe that the real goal here is um, population control. Perhaps it is, yeah. I mean, what else makes sense? Like, how else are people willing to just hand over their freedom, right? Whether it's in birth in a hospital or if it's like, hey, the doctor said this vaccine is cool. All the, va- the docs are getting the vaccine photo on their Instagram and giving the thumbs up like they're, they're some sort of hero. They're just modeling for the system what we want everybody to comply with. And um, anyways, yeah, go ahead. What were you here's saying? The tell, here's the that? tell. The FDA uh, is asking for 55 years to seal the records around uh, the current vaccine data and information. And VAERS, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah right. so, so the, why are you asking for 50? Why have you uh, reduced any kind of liabilities? Because the CEOs of these companies said, well, if we're going to implement this thing without the, the standardized testing, we want uh, no liability. And they're like, no problem, no liability. <laughs> So when you have someone that is implementing something with huge financial benefits and unknown consequences uh, with no chance of liability, what is the chance that you'll get for malfeasance? It's high. It's significantly higher than if those checks and balances are in. And when if you understand the nature of what a sociopath or a psychopath uh, engages in is they op- the, the average person would say, well, people wouldn't do that. Well, Guess what? Sociopaths and and, and, uh, psychopaths surround themselves by people who are naive 
And they're extremely convincing and charming because they're not bound by a sense of guilt. They don't experience guilt the way normal people do, that, that, that that's wrong or that's evil. They actually get off on the sense that they have hoodwinked millions of years or millions of people or uh, invoked or caused the death and destruction of many people. And, you know, Peterson points out that in the last days of the uh, German Empire, if you want to talk about evilness, because I think that's our most recent example of overt evilness, when given the chance to send uh, to, to leverage the resources of the enslaved Jewish people to aid in, uh, in the, the winning of the war for the Nazis. They chose, Hitler chose not to do that. He chose to exterminate them instead. And this is uncomfortable topics for people to discuss because we live in this antiseptic world. But guess what? I have friends whose family members were subjected to those camps. I have listened to the horror stories that was engaged in these people. I've read books like, well, Victor Frankl's oh, yeah. Man's Search for Meaning. Search for meaning. And uh, I've read the accounts and I've looked at the propaganda films. And if you look at the propaganda films um, or in, in the, it, with the rise of the Nazi party, um, what they were condemning the Jewish population was they said that they were dirty and that they were infected with disease because they traded in the public market and their homes were filthy mm. and they needed to be off, set off to uh, be, these camps to be cleansed and purified. Cleansed. This is where ethnic uh, cleansing and purification. And of course, we know that millions and millions of people died and, and wars were fought over this. And um, who knows what would have happened had they won. But again, we have uh, influences from foreign entities and countries who are not interested in the rule of law. They're not interested in freedom of speech. They're not interested in democracies. They don't have or support our Western ideas. In fact, they think that they are foolish and should be stamped out of the earth. And many of our own Silicon Valley um, operatives who, who have essentially digital dictatorships where they get to determine the course of history have seen that centralized organization around artificial intelligence and digital control through the control of speech, environment, communications, economics, biometric data, uh, capital access, uh, social access, uh, the ability to travel, all under the methodology of the Great Reset is the way to go to ensure that their totalitarian ideas and their corporate interests are served into the end of time as we are mere digital serfs in a matrix of their own conclusion and is being now put forth as, hey, welcome to the matrix. They might as well not call it. They might as well just call it that. Yeah. Why don't they just yeah. call it the matrix? Because that's right. what it is. So, so I think a lot of people are, you know, at this point, if you've listened this far, you're probably thinking, holy shit, I'm so glad they did this interview. And they're probably thinking, why are we talking about this on a podcast hosted by an OBGYN? I want to provide a little bit of context here for why I wanted you to come on the show, Wade, and why I asked you this question first off. Right around, I want to say, May of last year, 2020, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, they kind of, it's sort of like California across the United States. When ACOG says something, the rest of the world starts listening. This is the college that tells us what the safe and unsafe practices are within the OBGYN standard of care, you know? And, and about May, when this vaccine thing was rolling out, they said, hey, 
we think that this is safe for pregnant women. And this was much to my aghast. And the reason for that is because at the time that they rolled out this vaccine, not only did we not have any safety data, apart from some crappy Pfizer studies and Moderna was coming up with some studies, right? And those studies actually didn't show safety at all. They actually showed that not only do these probably not work, they actually showed that there's a concentration of the lipid nanoparticle in people's gonads, et cetera, right? So Correct. that was like Weinstein. The Japanese study, the, the Japanese study that that's the one. put forth. Yeah, him, him and his one. wife Heather, who have s served as the voice of reason. Right. Of, you know, they're, they're scientific method, you know, they're, they're real scientific thinkers, far superior to my own observations. <laughs> Me too. I'm a tar paper shack guy from Canada who grew up in a rural environment that you use common sense principles to right. stay alive and solve problems. Right. And um, you understand um, if you don't think out the consequences of your actions, bad things happen. Right. And so I think that has served me in this point to say, wait a minute, we don't know what the consequences are. Yes. Why is the people that we are entrusting with their health just going lock, stock and barrel down this road where we don't know the consequence because the Hippocratic Oath says first do no harm. Do and no if you harm. don't know if you're doing harm, then you have to at least say, well, I, I can't engage in this because there is the potential I could do harm. Isn't that how it works in the medical system? Hey guys, quick break here in my conversation with Wade Lightheart of Bioptimizers. Um, I want you guys to go to waveblock.com right now. Stop everything. Go to waveblock.com and check out what my friend Ben Salem has put together. He has these EMF blocking stickers and stickers for the backs of your for the back of your cell phone. And all of these devices block EMF way better than any other devices on the market. And one one question that came to mind for me was, well, how does this, you know, compare or contrast with biogeometry, which is really a technology and some other coherence harmonizing devices that will change the EMF as opposed to blocking it, making it less dangerous and harmful to our nervous system, to our tissues, etc. And the answer I have to that is that these complement that. Because, you know, harmonizing EMF only gets us so far. Blocking EMF only gets us so far. If you were to block it all together, you wouldn't get any signal. So what we want to do is we want to allow you to listen through your earbuds all day long to music, podcasts, etc., without blocking the sound, right? Well, if you also have biogeometry on your chest in a pendant, you know, you can go to biogeometry.ca and pick up some of Ibrahim Karim and uh, Doria Karim's devices. This just complements that further. EMF is something that is really important. We've got these super powerful modems in our earbuds, right, that allow us to listen with clarity to anything we're playing on our phone, you know, 10, 20 feet away. Well, that does emit low-dose low radiation, and even, especially for our kids, they have super thin skulls, so they're not blocking as much of that radiation, and their brains are being exposed to this stuff. So, so Ben Salem has put in the work and the time. He's compared his devices with every device on the market. It does a far superior job. You can check out the lab reports. They're all public for any public patent. You can get the lab reports to test the... Uh, well, it's, it's really not a, a patent issue. It's, it's really that these, these public... Um, oversight bodies like the FCC, they'll actually regulate how much um, radiation is being put out by these devices. You can get their lab reports for all the devices online. If you go to the websites, Ben's, Ben's stuff outperforms them all. So as a generous sponsor of the show, he's offering a 10% discount to listeners of the Holistic OBGYN. Just use promo code BELOVED at checkout and pick up your, your, your pick yourself up some stickers and, um, and I'll, I'll leave you to it. So let's get back to the conversation with Wade now. Thank you so much.
most healthcare professionals in the United States are purported to believe and to provide. But we, even when I was in residency, we were not modeled true informed consent. For you to exercise your right to informed consent and you have the other right, again, back to the patient bill of rights, you have the right to refuse treatment. You need to know the risks, benefits, alternatives to any intervention, whether it be a needle stick, a vaginal exam, a surgery, chemotherapy, you name it, right? So when ACOG came out and said flat out, this is probably safe for pregnant women, immediately people's red flags should have gone off because not only do we not know the consequences, we hadn't even had the experience of giving the vaccine to women who were gestating or trying to get pregnant or who had, you know, were, were intending to have a baby in, in the couple, you know, the, the coming months. And so the reason that this is a problem and everybody should be thoughtful about this is if I was going to jump off a bridge and Wade, you were like, hey, man, I promise you it's going to be a safe landing down there. I would say, well, I understand you're telling me there's a big giant pillow down there I'm going to land on, but I'd like to see the pillow first. You're like, no, 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 trust me. And, and eventually, because I think you're so charming, I jump off the bridge. If I land on the pillow at the bottom, you might say, see, there was a pillow at the bottom. It was safe after all. But that's not informed consent, right? So what we're now seeing is now that we've injected a bunch of pregnant women with this thing that we had no idea about the efficacy or safety at the very beginning, there's a lot of people that should be thoughtful about how the informed decision-making process went when a new technology was rolled out, and it wasn't a vaccine until Merriam-Webster changed their definition of what a vaccine was earlier this year. This mRNA stuff was a, was a gene therapy at best and an untested, unknown biotechnology weapon you know, at, at worst. And so, so the, the conversation around informed consent is being lost in the mix here. I'm not saying that vaccines were a bad idea back in Jonas Salk's day. I'm not seeing that infectious diseases aren't something we should be potentially worried about. What I am concerned about is that if you're willing to say that, hey, there's, this is safe or whatever else, you're lying to yourself because providing somebody with inadequate information to make an informed decision is a slippery slope towards now they're going to tell you everything's safe and you have absolutely no concept of what's up or down in order for you to make whatever decision is best based on your physical needs, your emotional, your spiritual needs, and, and everything else. So the fact that ACOG had said, hey, this is probably safe, is a very, very dangerous place for us to be treading. Because we're now talking about pregnant women. We're talking about fetuses. We know that a fetus inside a woman who's, let's say there's a female fetus inside a woman, they have all of the eggs now in their bodies that are going to actually be giving birth to the third generation down the line. So we could potentially be setting forth a downstream consequence that we would have absolutely no idea until two or three generations later. And that's why this is problematic. If a doctor tells you this is, this is safe, trust me, the patient has no, has no real way to say no. I mean, granted, you and I do, but most of us would like to think that these revered people who have gone through 20, 30 years of school, who've been practicing all their lives, actually are looking out for our best interest. And they're simply not. I don't know who's pulling the levers here, but there are greater forces at play. And it's scary to me that ACOG came out right away and said, this is probably safe. Well, let's, let's uh, call a spade a spade. Let's, let's recognize, first and foremost, medical doctors as, as, as a whole are people who had um, were recognized 
you were to look at the general sum, summation of the population of medical doctors, they went through the education system and generally uh, were reinforced that they were smarter and more capable than the average person. It's not easy to be a doctor. It's very difficult. You need to have the intellectual capability and you need to have the determination in order to be qualified within that field as well as be able to sustain the long education that goes into that, most of which is funded uh, through pharmaceutical interventions, which is a relatively called conventional medicine, right. which right. isn't conventional at all. It's a relatively new format that was uh, accel accelerated after World War II and the effects of antibiotics and treating uh you know, and, and, and traumatic wounds. And it's very good at traumatic wound care from, the, oh, from yeah. the, war, the war interventions. But that carried forth into eventually becoming not the cures of disease, but the treatments of, treatments of the symptoms of, according to the New England Journal of Medicine. And so now today, um, the unchecked exorbitant cost that it, it entails to become a, dec a doctor, let alone the, the duration of that, you have... And I can cite a good friend of mine who, uh, who was uh, a naturopathic doctor who went through the education system and went through and engaged in the process. And although he was a second generation medical doctor, he still found himself in his mid thirties, uh, not economically in the same field as where he would be, or certainly with his capability and his capacity, and not to mention the work it took him to get to that point. And, you know, he's running his little holistic health practice and doing fine, uh, but not thriving yet. It takes years to develop it. And it's a whole new set of skills business-wise that's going to take yeah. a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guess what? They implement these draconian measures inside of Canada and they approach my friend, uh, you know, specifically and say, hey, we need to, uh, we need you to start jabbing people down at the uh at the bc place here and we're gonna pay you a couple hundred bucks an hour uh and you can work as many hours as you want 12 hours a day 14 hours a day uh which isn't uncommon for someone in the medical practice that's just the normal day's work so and so now and you can work as many days as you would like to do because we have millions of people to to go in there and not enough doctors to go around so now you're creating someone who has been pressured financially may have some debt may not be up to their peers uh and 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 now you're rewarding them financially by incentivizing from something and you're and you're spoon feeding him information that supports him moving forward or her moving forward to engage in this process without due diligence so you're setting the person up on survival dynamics Plus, if they don't go along with it, you have the condemn condemnation of their peers, their institutions. They may lose their job. Uh, and if they've incurred a tremendous amount of debt in the, in the acquisition of their degree, not only have they lost the respect of their peers, not only have they lost their financial source, they are indebted with debt that they can't get out of because of the, the methodology around student loan debt as opposed to say debt, if I take on debt in a business, it goes, it goes belly up. I claim chapter 11 bankruptcy, I go bankrupt, I reset the thing and I start over again. Not the case for these people. And on top of that, they're, they're put on uh, the legal world and the medical world are seen as the most respected authoritative individuals in our society. 
So now you have the built up of the associated ego dynamics, the investment of time, energy, and money, the real consequences of going against that of their peers, the economic consequences of going at that as opposed to the benefits. And then on top of that, now, if you don't go for it, now you can't go to the gym. Now you can't go to the restaurant. You can't get on a plane and fly for a living. So they've squelched things down to people, even if they have resistance, unless you're a total lunatic like myself, who like, <laughs> you know what? I don't care, right? I want to be a Neanderthal forever. Kill me, burn me but you will never have my compliance is my attitude until you can demonstrate to me that this is safe and uh, for everyone and that you're not going to implement this as a tyrannical component. I'm not against yeah. medical intervention. I'm not against someone getting a vaccine. I'm not against someone uh, following the advice of their doctor against their government or, or, or following along with authoritatives in their mind. I'm not that type of person. I don't have any criminal charges. I'm not a violent person. I don't believe in those things. I believe in autonomy and personal responsibility. But I do draw the line when I see a tyrannical act that's cutting down my access to freedoms, which is not based on sensibility, but is based on a mandate from an individual who is at best ill-informed and certainly ill-equipped to make long-term mm. uh, judgments about the consequences of those choices. And when you bypass all those checks and balances from a reasonable, rational person as an applied critical thinker, you got to say, there's some other agenda going on here. And all you need to do is listen to a, a, an interview that happened very early on uh, at the World Economic Forum between uh, Char Prince Charles and Klaus Schwab of the Klaus. World Economic Forum. <laughs> and you will be very clear about what they thought was the opportunities that the pandemic provided for implementing what they call the Great Reset. The Great Reset. And you'll own so, nothing. You'll be happy and you own nothing. And you will live in a digital universe run by one of the most socially awkward individuals the world has ever seen <laughs> in Mark Zuckerberg to be the overlord of your virtual digital face. Well, your, your cities burn, your body breaks down, and your communications are dictated through uh, algorithmic filters set by uh, artificial intelligence or individuals who don't have your freedom and autonomy involved. You're spoon-felled what is the truth, and you live inside a cubicle very much like the individuals plugged into the Matrix in, in the 1999 film, The Matrix. And folks, it's here, and it is up to us to push back against this artificial and truly malignant uh, aspect of the human condition and its, its derivatives. And I do believe it will fall apart at some point, uh, whether it is divine intervention with a, uh, you know, a, an electromagnetic storm that takes out the power grid and blows the whole thing sky high, uh, whether it is people pushing back, whether it is the return of another uh, avatar to certain things. I don't know, but I'm, I'm, I'm betting on the component that there's enough humans that can see it and will fight up against it once they're pushed to the wall, pushed to the edge and we're being pushed to the edge. I hope that a lot of healthcare workers listening can, can appreciate this. Cause I actually think that, I actually think that all of the doctors that you're referring to, you know, we went to medical school. I paid 60 grand a year to Temple University to give me my, my medical education. It was a great education. But you're right. It used to be it used to be that you know you would have these endowments and that would help to sustain the research practices and you'd get NIH grants and you'd be 
something, you know, sort of subsidizing these researchers to do the work, publish the work, the research to get more NIH dollars. It used to be this kind of self-fulfilling thing that the good programs would be doing the best work. But now Pfizer, Moderna, whoever, Bayer, all these pharmaceutical companies are actually paying for the vast majority of the of the 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 overhead costs to keep these programs going. And so it's no wonder that in our first two years of school, we go through about a textbook every two weeks. We are smart people, but we are good at learning what is given to us and then regurgitating it on the test. So to take your example one step further, physicians going into medical school, it's hard to get into medical school to begin with. And now you're paying out the ass for this education that's being spoon-fed to you in such a way that you need to know the things that you need to know in order to operate in the system in which you're going to be golden handcuffed in the future because you've got I've got 480k in debt ways. So if you know any rich people out there that just want to pay off my debt, please send them my way. That would be super helpful. But I but I I also have some compassion for these doctors who have done all of the right things. You've answered so many multiple choice, you know, answers correctly that yeah. you were rewarded with a job whereby now you're not even allowed to call a pharmacy and order ivermectin for a patient because the pharmacist will say, that's not an FDA-approved use for that drug. Well, Wade, I have surprise for everybody. I order a medication hourly that is an off-label use. It's not until now that the pharmacy is giving me pushback against what I'm allowed to order. The pharmacist's job is to tell me, hey, Dr. Riley, did you mean to order 200 milligrams or did you mean 20? Because 200 sounds like a pretty high dose. And I'd say, oh my gosh, thank you. You caught a mistake. Let's get them the 20 milligram dose because I, I made a, a typo, right? The pharmacists are meant to check how do drugs interact. They're meant to check all these things. Not until now has a, has a pharmacist told a doctor, I'm sorry, doctor, you're not allowed to prescribe that medicine for your, for your, for your patient. When you give them pushback, they say, well, you know, this is actually uh, just the policy, you know, and, and whatever else. And who do you think is writing those policies, right? So physicians are being handcuffed by this crazy medical school debt, which was accrued despite millions of dollars coming in through Pfizer and everybody else in order to keep the lights on. I'm now indebted to a system that is not only telling me through a fee schedule with our insurance companies what I can and can't say to patients, how I can, how much time I can spend with them, how, you know, I can't teach them about bioptimizers because I don't have time to do that, and the insurance company's not going to pay me for lifestyle medicine counseling, right? But also, now that I do want to provide this medicine that is actually probably far more effective than some wacky vaccine, I can't even do that because there's some big, some somebody up in the in the ether who's actually dictating what physicians can and can't do. So, what are physicians supposed to do? Unless you're like me. You're trapped in the system, and you just have to, through cognitive dissonance, make it make sense that you're still collecting 200k a year because your family is dependent on that paycheck. I I've lost two jobs in the past two years. I've got two babies in the past two years, and I've lost two jobs. The first was I was working for a hospital, and they wanted to do surgery on a patient who was a guardian of the state. They had horrible vasculopathy. The the vascular surgeons were going to cut off their leg, and this is a person who was on hospice under comfort measures. And they didn't want me to intervene there because the, the rehab facility that was rehabbing a person who's not even able to understand verbal you know, instructions, they were doing rehab for them. So this was an obvious case of Medicare fraud. I called it out, and shortly thereafter, I lost my job, right? That was the first thing. A year later, I lost my job for taking my mask down, speaking to a dying person at the very end of their life, trying to give them some loving compassion before they step through the portal. Lost that job, right? And so now I have to do my own thing. But there's, you know, 
that's me and you. You and I are going to be in the loony bin in, in, in adjacent cells someday. But this is actually what has to happen. Every healthcare professional out there has to realize your freedom as a provider, all of that work, all that debt you've taken on, it is slowly being stripped away underneath your nose. There's not even a conspiracy here. It's being taken away from you. And all that hard work you've done is going out the, you know, out the wazoo because you're not pushing back. You're not actually standing in your truth and saying, I am a fucking doctor. I have done more work than most human beings will ever do in a lifetime. And I demand mm -hmm. to have my freedom to treat my patients and speak to them in a way that's loving, compassionate, and respectful. And we are not seeing that from our healthcare professionals. Well, and that's it. And I, and like I said, I think that, you know, most of them are, are, are under duress and it's a shame when our best, our brightest, our most motivated and our most capable are now pigeonholed. And, you know, if you look at some of the research methods, we're seeing as much as 40% of medical industry practitioners are pushing back against the vaccine mandates. What is that telling you? They're willing to give up their jobs. They're willing to be furloughed. They're willing to be uh, condemned by their patients because they're, they, they understand the downstream consequences. And many of them are um, individuals who are older, who have you know, been around the block for a while and, and they don't have their lives ahead of them. And you're one of the few medical doctors who has a, a young family and is in, and is in this uh, you know, in the early parts of their career that's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. This is not what I got into this. I got into this to help people. And um, it's, a, I, I get it. Like, I understand why my friend folded. I get it. I, do I understand. I have empathy yeah. and compassion for that person. But on the consequences, I said, you know, this is shaping up to be a divisive battle. And I said, unfortunately, we're going to be on two sides of that because I believe that your actions are allowing for collusion with those who do not have the best interest of health. And you took a Hippocratic oath. And I believe that you are in violation of that oath. That's right. And I can't right. recommend my clients to come see you anymore because I see that there is an error in judgment from my perspective whether that's through influence or because I, I could be of error. Let's face it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've got this completely insane. Maybe I've made a total mistake, but I do have the right to advocate for what I believe, whether I'm, uh, you know, faithfully wrong or um, unfortunately wrong. <laughs> um, the, the point of the matter is, 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 is that in a world of, where there's free speech and autonomy, which has given birth to the, the, to the greatest disbursement of economic wealth, prosperity, and, and creativity the world has ever seen under the, the democratic republics and the various versions of that who have seeded the Western world has contributed more to the advancement of humanity than any other system that has been put forth in the history of the world. Mm. And we're looking at snuffing that out. Right, right. And this is our shining moment in the dark sea of adversity. And it's, it's you know, our ancestors before us for thousands of years, the 10,000 generations before us periodically faced these things. And we have to determine, are we going to honor those who came before us and those after us? Are we going to snivel and selfishly examine our way into a digital prison 
run by Mark Zuckerberg and a uh, bunch Jack of other Dorsey. nerds, <laughs> right? Really? Yeah. yeah. Really? Wade, you and I are in a, in, in a growing tribe of people, um, many of whom were actually at, at our friend Paul's birthday party. <clears throat> how do you see this, you know, if we continue to push back, how do you actually see this going for, for us? You know, are we going to all end up in intentional communities, caring for one another, loving one another? Are we going to start to see minds changing? Are you starting to see minds changing in Canada? What, what do you see happening here? Well, I, I, I'm going to go back to Canada shortly um, to see. Um, I was there this summer, and um, I was appalled by what I saw. I, I, I never imagined that the spirit of Canada would fall apart so quickly under such misguided direction as the fool who is running that country. And he is a fool, you know. Trudeau. And, yes, and I actually have... Um, he, he was a, te a school teacher in Vancouver, Canada, and uh, came around certain places with uh, associates of mine. And so I have a good sense of who he was before he got into power. And I see that he is not qualified for the position. Mm -hmm. He's there by name only, not by his individual uh, capabilities, his competency level. And he brought into power a bunch of people who are not competent. And when you have an incompetent governing body, you end up with um, corruption and you end up with very, very dire consequences for the general public who has entrusted you to, to make decisions in the best interest of the, public, uh, of the public. And that is perhaps the downsides of democracies. However, inside of democracies, there's these things called elections and the elections uh, course correct for people that we kind of place the bet on in the complications of running any society. And, and, you know, the consequences of being an authority is that you're going to be criticized by your decisions by, and, and, and rightly so by uh, whether that's minorities or majorities of the population who weren't served by the policies that served most of the population. Mm. So I guess the question is really going to come down to for individuals such as myself and some of the guests of Paul and, and his uh, commensurate associates who share in our concerns is, will there be enough of a group of individuals who push back, who will maintain the freedoms that we, our, our ancestors so, so valiantly fought and died for to sustain for us, or will we be uh, squashed um, like the millions before us to tyrants mm. who feel mm. that that is an outdated opinion of the new world order and that people such as ourselves are mere revolutionaries and uh, remnants of an old version of the species that need to be stamped out because that is how we're viewed in certain circles inside the transhumanist uh, nature, which is the fusion of humans and uh, digital sentient, what mm. they feel is digitally sentient beings, uh, artificial intelligence and these sort of things. And 
we have to, we're in a period of mutation of homo sapiens and homo we're homo digitalis homo geneticist homo geneticalis and uh homo atheist and homo spiritus and i'm betting on homo spiritus i believe mm-hmm. that there are laws that are superior to both our educational and governmental institutions that will come into effect and are operating in perfect harmony despite my uh, concerns as an individual, as a body of the human body, both from the historical ancestral components of its past and those from which it will continue on in the future long after me, the human cell of Wade will have come and gone in a, in a, in a relatively uh, uh, a relatively unknown existence. Sure. And, 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 and so I'm aware of that and I'm okay with that, but for whatever reason, God put this thought process into my brain and this feeling of intuition inside of myself. And I will act accordingly by that, regardless of what consequences the world has, because that is my functioning as a cell in the human body from which the only thing I have to um, have accountable for is my relationship with divinity. And I believe that I am acting in full faith to the best of my ability, to the best of my comprehension, um, f- fault, faulty as that might be. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, brother. <clears throat> what One commonality I've found amongst all of the people that seem to resonate with what you and I are talking about is that they've they've used psychedelics they've dropped acid they've gone they've they've gone deep with mushrooms they've taken they've gone and sat with ayahuasca they've done something that has actually allowed them to see beyond their own ego and their own needs in this world and what we're not talking about is you know some father figure in the sky telling us what's right and wrong what we are talking about is that there's a deep sense of truth and i can feel it with you when when i meet you and it's that same truth that I go to sleep with at night whenever I see some injustice in, medic- in the medical system. And it's, it's like, I'm sorry, I, I know I'm about to lose my job for doing this, but this is not right. It comes down to right and wrong. And this is not a, a uh, Venn diagram of you know, the pros and cons of investing in crypto. That's not what, right and wrong. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't mean the actual physical sort of outcomes from our actions. I mean that there is something that you know if it's right or wrong. And it comes from in here. It comes from right in here. It doesn't come from up here. There's, there's some deep sense of, of gratitude that, that I have for being alive every single day. And if I were to act against that deep intuition, it would be setting me on a path that I, I simply couldn't be comfortable with. You know, like that's not living to me. So <clears throat> Wade, we're already, we've already been recording for over, well over an hour. So um, I feel like we need to do a part two, but <laughs> we didn't even get to talk about bioptimizers. I love your product line, and uh, I was going to ask you all about the details, the specifics of, of applying some of your products to to some women's healthcare needs. But maybe we should just do a part two, and we'll we'll specifically talk about I that. Think, I, I think that would be best because, frankly, this topic is much more important. I do too. It's I much so more too. important, now, uh, you know. And I'm I'm on, I'm on a mission to help people, and I have been my whole life ever since my sister was diagnosed with cancer at an early age and lost her life at the age of 22 under medical supervision. And I remember the helplessness that we felt at that time, and I can recall when she would be coming home 
from the uh, her chemotherapy treatment or her radiation treatment, and we'd have to stop, you know, uh, half a dozen times on the 55 mile drive home, and she'd have to get out and vomit um, to get the toxicity out of her system from mm. quote unquote the treatment. Right. And that part and parcel, the trauma of that, um, I think certainly. Uh, set me on a course of action later in life. Number one, it made me mistrustful of that which was advocated by medical authorities. Because I thought to myself, my naive 15-year-old self, is like, wait a minute. If you want to be healthy, shouldn't the treatment be making you healthier? Why is it making her sicker? It was a simple, naive question from a 15-year-old. And... From that time, it, it directed me to find the principles of performance. And it started with lifting weights and it started with uh, learning about nutrition. And, and I thought first, if I could build my muscles on the outside, maybe that was health. And I think that's a common element. But then when I suffered the consequences of, of, of pursuing only an aesthetic or performance-based model, I recognized there was an internal model that I was ignorant to or it turned off in my pursuit of athletic excellence. And from that, I was able to learn some of the interminable practices and procedures that you could go uh, care of the physiological uh, body. But then one realizes one's not just a physiological body, that we are uh, an etheric being. We are a soul being. And, and that uh, engaged me in the process of, 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 of pursuing that which would be considered the, the spiritual or nonlinear nature. And... I've been blessed with some unique um, experiences in that realm, the, the experience of dying, mm. the experience of rebirth on several occasions and some what many would say would be mystical events. I can't possibly explain by the, by the known laws of physics or the known laws of science, but are as real to me as the rain falling in Vancouver on a given afternoon That's right. or the sunshine here <clears> in Venice. And people might say, how do you know that was, how do you know that happened? And you could say, because I was there. It was, I, cause I'm yeah. me and I was there. <laughs> how do you know? I, I would say for someone that might've experienced a, a past situation that they have a memory over that maybe they interpreted correctly, or maybe they interpreted incorrectly. If sometimes you find out the intentions of people were not what you thought they were interpreted from. Sometimes your intentions were not received in the way that you thought they were and was interpreted by someone else in a different way. So we don't know because the nature of our mind um, is, uh, is, 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 doesn't accurately represent the truth or reality. It is a, a perceived limitation from our sensory experience and pre-programmed responses in our uh, neocortical structure and how axion dendrites come up and the activation of emotionality in our various brain centers that uh, are designed to ensure survival of the physical being. Yet all of us are presented with the great mystery of death. And from that has emerged a variety of versions of what that is to there's this nothingness to torturous realms of of some sort of hell to the heavenly celestine uh, potentials of what that is. And... The reality is, is none of us will know until we pass through that narrow gate, which we are all destined to do. Mm-hmm. And that will come soon enough and probably sooner than many of us wish or think. However, 
I believe that the application and preparation for that day uh, entails the questioning of that which is of this world and the invitation to explore that which is not of this world. And in my investigations of both of those realms, I've come to the conclusions that we are spiritual beings having a physical experience and that we are part of something that connects everything that ever was and ever will be together. And from that, let's call it source energy, I am indivisibly uh, connected to that yet have the experience, the dualistic experience, that I am a me and the rest of the world is an it. And the closer I come to seeing myself as part of that ubiquitous river of infinity, the easier it is for me to see clearly and to stand up against that which I feel is not in alignment with the basic premise of physical being. If you take a single cell organism, and you put it next to mercury, it will instantly recoil from that mercury on its own. <laughs> if you put it near a food source that supports its living, it will move towards it <laughs> on its own. So embedded in the cell of all living organisms is a potential to move to that which supports life and a potential to move away from that which doesn't support life. And through the development of single cell organisms into multi-cell organisms, into the human nervous system, into the human organism itself, which is largely accepted to be the most sophisticated aspect of biological evolutionary development on this planet, which has given us the, the, the prefrontal cortex and the reptilian brain and all of these sort of things that we can go and, and, and at the end of the day, the feeling that you have, that you referred to, that which supports life or that is which is truth and that which doesn't support life and that is truth. I think that foundational essence is the bifurcation of a binary aspect endued into all living beings that is replicated into our variants of that which supports our lives and that of the entity of humanity. I'm in for the continuation of biological organisms long past my own life. Mm -hmm. And I'm into that for the human organism and its derivatives known as our children and grandchildren and great grandchildren. And I believe the best way to do that is to continue to support that which supports life and to rail against that which I don't support. My company is an extension of that philosophy. My action, my mission, my message is to encourage people to, to pursue that which is truth within them. Whether they believe me or not is not as important as their direction in pursuit of the truth. Because in the pursuit of the truth, you find meaning in, frankly, the compromised tragedy of, of, of physical reality, which ends in the multi aspects of suffering the loss of everyone and everything that you ever love, including your life mm -hmm. at some point in the future. Mm. But if you're in pursuit of truth and the pursuit and experience of love, that which connects us, one can recognize that, Hey, despite the inevitable degeneration of the physical condition, despite 
the emotional sense of loss that I'm going to have when my loved ones depart, both those who came before me, those who came with me, and those who are to come or go before I do. Well, if I can find meaning in this and connection within this, then I alleviate that suffering. And perhaps I even find the divine joy of existence itself. And once one's tasted that for even a fragment, then one realizes that in, it, that pursuit of that is more noble than anything else that anyone can take. And if condemnation and suffering and death comes upon me because it, I will accept it as Jesus accepted it to bear one's cross and to suffer the invariable condemnation, whether that's meant for or not, and to not wish ill upon one's enemies regardless, for to do so would to be fall prey to that which has possessed them, which is fear, and to walk full forth into the bullets, into the condemnation, into the death, into the suffering, and face infinity unflinchingly is the mission of the human spirit. And if one does that successfully, I believe transcendence into the emergence of that unique energy will be one's fate. Wow. Thank you, Wade. <laughs> I think I needed to hear that today. I think that with all of the stuff that we are constantly being exposed to through Instagram and through the news and through BBC, and we tend to forget about what this is right here, you know, and the way that we care for one another, the way that we, the way that we imagine this new world that's emerging, if it's not in a place, it's not coming from a place of loving compassion, then then we're all doomed, right? And, and we need to just all remember that. So thank you for sharing that. And I think that to kind of just wrap this up, the part of your story about about seeing your sister get sick and ultimately passing away, what was inspired in you is another part that's being lost in this whole story, which is, hey, if we have these external factors that can be added into a biological system for the purpose of controlling disease or whatever else. We're just merely palliating or, 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 or even, um, it's not even palliating in that sense. Um, it's, it's more like tr putting an external force on the natural process of something that is unfolding, right? Whereas what you and I do in working with clients and what your whole product line is about is, is largely being ignored by the media which is that, hey, if your body is unable to learn from the exposure to a viral illness, then your soil is not healthy. And that's where the supplements and the lifestyle you know, coaching and the movement and diet and sauna and cold immersion, that's where all of this stuff comes into play. So if you are susceptible to something like viral illness, right, and it's important to keep the physical body strong in order for the subtle bodies to work their magic within this earthly realm, and nobody's talking about the importance of all these lifestyle, these modifiable lifestyle factors, then we're again missing the mark. So I just want to encourage everybody to remember that this is more than just the summation of parts. It's important for you to care for your body. It's important for you to find supplements that help your body, your physical body, remain as healthy and, and, and to promote longevity as best we can 
so that these subtle bodies can work out the contract that your soul has. And if you're not willing to do that, there's no ivermectin, remdesivir, vaccine or anything else, surgery that's going to save your life. Like this is really up to you. And this goes back to personal responsibility and standing in your truth as to what's right and wrong. So, so Wade, we'll do a part two and we'll get into the actual products, but you are such a, an eloquent speaker and I feel so grateful to know you. So thank you for coming into my life magically in San Diego. Um, I will, uh, any final comments? Yeah, it's a two-way trail and you're doing great work. And, you know, as I say, it's a, it, it, the fact that we're being put to the test, I rise up to the occasion. I will, I will put forth what I advocate to the test uh, and, and we're playing for all the marbles. Yeah. Okay, fine. It's all the marbles then. So be it. Let's get on with it. <laughs> and there's no tears. There's no crying. There's no whining. We're going to go into this. And we're going to march to the edge of infinity and beyond if that's what it takes. And that's exciting. And for people who want to know more about Bioptimizers, go to bioptimizers.com. Go get the awesome health course. I give it away for free. It's the 30 years that I compiled. Uh, it's five to 15 minute videos. It goes through a simple and easy philosophy, how you allocate, how you go from, you know, the different things that you put your time, effort and money. Yes, you cut a copy of the book from sick to superhuman. Um, I love this book, by book. the way. It came in uh, the package of product you sent me. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a way to kind of how do you systematically go after biohacking. Uh, awesome Health is a foundational component. Sick to Superhuman is kind of like the, the higher level sophistication of that embodiment. And then our products support people uh, in that journey. We advocate for other company, other people. We encourage you to get someone like Nathan in your sphere of expertise. You need someone with the credentials and the capabilities to actually take apart. So I have what I call my Jedi Council. My Jedi Council are professionals who have dedicated their lives and have the intellectual capabilities and acumen, as well as the critical thinking and experience to give me reasonable suggestions about what I might consider or what I might not consider. And I, I, I go to them with these kind of decisions like we talked about today. And I come to the conclusions, not from my own brain, but from that, from the, my collective colleagues and those who I look up to. And you're one of those people, Dr. Nathan, and I really appreciate you bringing me on the podcast. Thanks so much. I'm excited to do a part two. And I know that it's going to be a great relationship over many years to come. I, I'm, I feel the same. I couldn't have said it better. Um, likewise, Wade, um, through and through. So thank you so much. And I'm sure we'll, we'll be talking soon. You got it. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode with my friend, Wade Lightheart. Um, we didn't even have time to get into his product line, so we're going to have to do another episode where we really talk about his work um, in the supplement industry. Uh, but the conversation with medical freedom is, is so important, right? We can't just continue to give, give, give in the name of public safety if the governing bodies haven't proven themselves to be working entirely in our best interest as the public. That's what we always thought was happening. But that isn't really what's happening nowadays, guys. And it is important for us to be asking questions. I'm not saying anybody out there has the answer or that everybody out there is a bad guy. But in some regards, like through cognitive dissonance, the way that we practice medicine is a small sort of allegory for what's happening on a larger scale within our government. People think they're doing good, the right thing. People think, including Bill Gates, he thinks he's doing the right, the good thing. But he couldn't be further off 
from the truth. And, you know, for somebody like him immersed in technology, for example, sorry to pick on Bill Gates, but, you know, he, he has lived in a world in which technology is going to, to help us solve everything all the way down to our very mortality, right? And, um, and I think that we're, we're reaching, you know, the, the law of diminishing returns is kicking in pretty quickly here. So to be, remain immersed in a world in which, hey, more digital stuff, more tracking devices, more GPS, more, you know, um, you know government involvement through all this fancy software and, and this and that and, and these algorithms that Instagram and Facebook are using, like, yes, initially we all thought maybe more technology was going to lead to, to a promising, more, you know, brighter pastures. But that's not necessarily the case, and it's, it really behooves us to ask the question. And I think Wade is is exemplary in that way. So please go to his website. You can use code BELOVED15 to save 15% off any of his products. In addition, I'd be remiss if I didn't re-mention waveblock.com. They have these EMF blocking technologies in the forms of stickers for your earbuds, for the backs of your cell phones. And um, you can save 10% off their whole product line using code BELOVED. Uh, we're nearing the end of 2021, so we've got a lot of new things coming in, the, in 2022 as a, as, a, as a whole society, as a, as a whole species. Um, 2022 has a lot of promise for us to make some major changes in our communities and how we treat one another. And we're trying to lead the way here in the Holistic of Doing podcast. If you haven't left us a review on iTunes, it really, really helps to rise in the rankings. Leave a five-star five star review. Um, if you have any complaints, questions, you just want to give us a, a thumbs up, you can find us at holisticobjoinpod.com. That's also where you find all of the show notes, which we will definitely include um, from this episode because it was packed full of good stuff. So... Please go there. If you need to find me and, and engage me for any sort of medical advice, if you want to become my patient, you can find me at BelovedHolistics.com. This is Nathan Riley, Dr. Nathan Riley, MD, the Holistic OBGYN, bidding you adieu for now. We'll see you next week for episode 26, just a couple episodes until 2022. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.